Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, October 5th, 2022. Well, we're recording most of it on October 5th. Aaron and I will be recording a teeny tiny chunk of the show tomorrow, where we'll then talk about the latest episode of She-Hulk uh, once I get back from Orlando. I, I've been down here with Mr. Testa uh, working on a project that we're not allowed to talk about yet, right, Aaron? Uh, witness Protection Program. I don't know what you're talking about. There we go. Okay. All will be revealed soon, folks. Hashtag Project Cardboard Box. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, all right. I, I, again, I've been a while since Aaron and I recorded, uh, last recorded in New Mud, and I apologize for that. Lots of news to cover. And as always, the news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. So what would you say was the biggest piece of news over the past week, Aaron? There was a lot, but I think the one that shocked me the most so far was the news of Armor Wars going from series to film. Yeah. Now, I've expected there to be some fluidity in release dates and schedules, mm-hmm. and, but uh, flopping from series to movie or going the other way, movie to series, mm-hmm. was not something on my bingo card. Well, I have been doing some reaching out to folks at Marvel Studios to, to understand this, because remember, this, this went... From a six-episode limited series built around uh, Don Cheadle's James Rose War Machine character. And, you know, the whole conceit is what would happen if Tony Stark's technology got into the wrong hands? I don't know if you've been paying attention to what's been going on theatrically lately, but this fall has seen the least number of brand new films going into theaters. And a lot of that is due to what went on during the pandemic and the difficulty to produce new films and, and that sort of thing. And evidently there were conversations between Disney, Marvel Studios, on the heels of complaints from exhibitors to the effect of, we need more product. And what was kind of interesting about Armor Wars, it's a story that could easily be told over six episodes But at the same time, it would also make a nice little tight Marvel movie. And that's another thing that's being discussed at Disney and and Marvel. The notion of you guys only make, you know, 150 to 200 million dollar movies. Could we maybe try to do something cheaper, quicker and see what that would be like? And so evidently, Kevin sort of cast his eyes back over uh, everything that Marvel had in the works at that point and saw Armor Wars. And it's like, okay, you know, maybe that. And as I understand it, Don Cheadle was actually thrilled when he learned, like, oh, we're going to go theatrical with this. In the end, this is still going to go back to Disney Plus, 45 days after theatrical release, it, it will show up on Disney Plus. So the folks at Disney Plus will be like, yeah, sure, whatever, go ahead. But yeah, there's a couple of different agendas here. This is serving the, the concerns of exhibitors, and this is Disney and Marvel sort of kicking the tires of, does everything have to be a 150 to $200 million movie? 
So did the budget that that means it's a smaller budget than normal. Did the budget go up or down? The budget got crept in. That's very odd. Normally, you know, you think a TV series would be cheaper than a big budget film. Mm-hmm. And to be starting off in, we're going to do a big, huge, you know, Disney Plus movie style series because the quality mm-hmm. is so slick and sharp. Mm-hmm. And then to, to move it over to film and watch the budget get smaller is almost astounding. I mean, obviously, we're going to go with six or seven hours of TV, mm-hmm. you know, versus two hours of film. But still, mm-hmm. usually budgets are smaller on the TV side. They are. They are. But it's interesting you bring that up because Star Wars Skeleton Crew, the, mm. the thing that's shooting now with Jude Law, was so expensive that Lucasfilm actually went to the state and got a huge tax break. And I want to say that one is $135 million. You know what they got to do? They got to start hiring John Hamm because apparently he gave up like a good chunk of his salary to get Fletch made the the new fletch movie confess fletch which is a great movie by the way everyone should go see it they did a horrible job promoting it because i didn't realize Mm. it was out till it was on my tv playing Mm. and i was like oh my god this is great why have i not heard about this i was always a fan of the the gregory mcdonald that was the author Mm -hmm. of the the books yeah no loved the books and enjoyed the first chevy chase Film, not so much the, the the second. So this this has definitely been on my radar. I've, I've yeah, this really this been... one's completely different tone. John Hamm does a completely different thing, but it's a good thing, and mm-hmm. it's and you really can't compare the two side by side. It's it's a new thing. It's wonderful. Um, but yeah, hire John Hamm, and and you don't have to worry about your budget so much because he'll give you millions of dollars just to be in the damn thing. <laughs> but but seriously, that 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 was the the story that that leaped out at you this week because I I yeah. would have sworn. You know, you having a strong reaction to Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds after years and years of teasing, you know, that they're seriously making a Deadpool movie together. Well, no, it's not that they're making a Deadpool movie. It's the way that Ryan did it. And by the way, mm-hmm. if you want to talk about who leaked the original Deadpool stuff, I think we can tell right now that it was Ryan because oh, he's given up a strategy very plain as day. Mm-hmm. He got his buddy Hugh to come over for an afternoon, probably gave him some of that airliner gin or whatever the hell it's called that he's selling <laughs> mm-hmm. and then uh got him all drunk and went hey by the way why don't we just say we're doing the movie mm-hmm. and then it will be up to uh marvel to to pull through and make it happen otherwise the fans will burn it all down to the ground and hugh jackman says oh that sounds like a right good idea mate and uh then off they're off making a little video they put it out release mm-hmm. it with nobody's permission and now marvel's got to cough up the goods that's how it works now right Okay, I could, that's kind of an intriguing spin on it. You know Kevin Feige needed a bathroom the second he saw that video. He's like, I gotta make a number two real quick, because what the hell just happened? <laughs> uh, I, I, I have to admit, I've been fascinated by this project ever since, you know, Disney Ants, yes, we're doing this, and yes, it's going to be R-rated, and now fascinating that, you know, we have Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, but... And, and there's been all this talk about, well, does this then screw up the ending of, you know, the wonderful uh, Logan movie? Well, no, because that was in, that's in our future, and that, that okay. has no effect on anything. I did read a nice little tweet online that somebody had a, a wonderful creative idea mm-hmm. to uh, bring Deadpool into the MCU. And it just starts off the movie with Ryan Reynolds at his computer dragging mm-hmm. all of the X-Men movies from a, a folder marked Fox into mm-hmm. a folder named MCU. And that's it. That explains everything. 
We don't need any more backstory. He just did a drag and drop. Now they exist in our universe, and we can move on. Okay. In fact, you, you unknowingly, you kind of pivoted to my next line of inquiry, because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, X-Men Origins, the, the, the Wolverine movie, the one that came out in May of 2009. Yeah, where they stitch his mouth shut. Yeah. Yes, you know, but but Ryan Reynolds was in that movie as Wade Wilson, right? Yeah, well they make that the joke about it all through the first Deadpool movie about what a joke that appearance was and that the mm-hmm. stupid execs, you know, the, his nickname is the Merc with the mouth. Mm-hmm. So what does Fox do? Well, let's get rid of his mouth. Mm-hmm. That'll make it key to the character, won't it, Jeff? I think so, Bob. Three martini lunch for everybody. Uh, so yeah, it was just a stupid decision and whoever the exec was deserves to get fired because it was just the dumbest thing in the world. And, uh, Ryan had to deal with it cause he's just a paid talent and he has to deal with the director and the script say, and that's what it said. Now that he had a little creative freedom over Deadpool, he made an absolute mockery of everything that they did with, mm-hmm. with that character. So, uh, yeah, it's all fair play. Okay. Okay. Every so often. When I start to get serious and do the research and pull this up together, there's a little voice in the back of my head that said, you understand this is a comic book movie, right? Ever since Thor had the god Bao, the little mm-hmm. animated Bao Ball, mm-hmm. I, I was like, well, anything can happen in the MCU right now, and I just don't care anymore. You know, if you've got a little animated ball of food cheering mm-hmm. as a god, then... Go ahead, bring Wolverine in. I don't care what universe he's from. I don't care if he's played by Hugh Jackman or Danny DeVito. It just don't matter anymore. Okay. When when yeah. you go that crazy with with certain things, it's like it's all for fun now. I mean, the the rules to me just don't seem to matter anymore. It's interesting. Again, you, you mentioned the rules don't seem to matter anymore. The I, in two days' time, uh, Wolverine. Excuse me, not Wolverine, but Werewolf by Night. Uh, will debut on Disney Plus, a uh, standalone Halloween special of sorts. Mm. It's been kind of interesting, the reviews that have made it out. And obviously, Aaron and I can't talk about it yet because we haven't seen it. But uh, people, it, it really seems to have spit, split people down the middle. Uh, that that uh, Some really enjoy it for what they call an exercise in style. Right. And others complain that it is very much a departure from what the MCU has done to date. But let's face it, this is, this is kind of Marvel dipping its its toe in, in the horror field because coming up is Blade. Well, I, I would say not just horror, but horror camp as well because mm-hmm. it, it looks like it's got that comedic bend to it. And it mm-hmm. is, I, I want to say it is probably going to be more about style than it is substance because mm-hmm. I don't necessarily expect Man-Thing to come into mm-hmm. the MCU full force forever and ever right alongside, you know, the rest of our heroes on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Um, I don't know how much, I mean, it may connect into the MCU a little bit, but is it going to stick around and be a major appendage that we see often? I highly doubt it. It mm-hmm. might just come out during the Halloween season every once in a while, but um, I, I do think whether you like the style or you don't like the style, I think mm-hmm. it's a necessary exercise to keep the evolution of the MCU moving forward and trying new things and being bold enough to, to do a thing that may not work, but just to give it a shot and see what the if the fans embrace it or not. I think at this point we do have to talk about the Blade reboot, sure. which is now just two months away, less than two months from uh, the beginning of production. And going to be released to theaters November 3rd, 2023. And 
So did you see where Basim Tariq just walked away from this movie? And Mr. Tariq was not just the director of this film, he was also the screenwriter. And evidently, Mahershala Ali was not really happy with the script, that there were, it was only 90 pages long. And, you know, it's like, this is Blade. It, it, where's Blade in the Blade movie? Were they telling it from an outside perspective where he kind of enters in, you know, like the Predator or something, where he just makes appearances to get a kill and then disappears, and then you deal with vampires who are in a panic because blades are on the corner in the shadows? I am trying right now my damnedest to get a hold of the original Basim Tariq screenplay because supposedly that then keyed off of an earlier script that Tacey Ose Kufer had written because right now evidently that all that material has been junked Mm-hmm. And Bo DeMeo, who wrote a, a number of scripts for Moon Knight, has been tapped to, to write a whole new script for Blade. And But again, it's like, but they still want to make the two months from now production start, which uh, well, to me just... You know, there's cra- there's a couple of things. First of all, when you're in the writing... Remember like the whole Edgar Wright situation with Ant-Man when he departed? Mm-hmm. And that was creative differences. And I don't think anybody was a villain in mm-hmm. that scenario. It wasn't like one was getting picked on or pushed around or, or anything like that. It was just, I can see you want to go left in the fork in the road, and I would like to go right, so mm-hmm. let's do that. You go left, I'll go right. And, and they parted ways. And I think that might be a thing when you're going to be the director and the writer. Hmm. You've got a really, really super strong vision because not only do you have the eye to bring those scenes to life, but, you know, you've actually written the words to the page. And so you're like super connected to it in two different ways mentally. Hmm. And there comes a point where someone, especially the the main lead actor, if they're not thrilled with it, I'm sure that there's going to be some discussion to, to have to bring that person in because they've got to be confident in their work. They're the actor. They're going to bear their soul on the stage, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously they go, well, I'm not happy with it. Marvel's going to say, well, let's take a look at it. And at mm-hmm. this point, there's a discussion. Am I not happy about a line or am I not happy about 80 out of 90 pages? Mm-hmm. And if it turns out that it's a line, chances are the director slash writer will go, ah, no problem. We can tweak that. Now, if they go, hey, man, I think I need to be featured, you know, 500% more than I am, that's mm. a huge change to the story. And right there, you're going to have a... Because then, you it's kind of like a watch. You've got all these working gears in place that interlink, and you take one out, and the watch don't tick the way it does anymore no. the proper way, right? Mm-hmm. And so you either have to plug that in, or you have to rebuild the whole damn watch from scratch. And well, when you get to the point of, we have to rebuild the whole watch from scratch, it's very easy for that person who's got this very strong vision connected to it. You go, you know what? We're at a fork in the road. You're going left. I'm going right. Remember, Scott Derrickson, the director of the original Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. had been tapped to do the sequel, walked away from that project in, in January of 2021. And again, same thing, creative differences. And, you know, just less than two months later, Marvel Studios lined up Sam Raimi to direct Doctor Strange 2. But the interesting thing is that Scott Derrickson stayed on as the executive producer of that sequel. Mm-hmm. And Basim Tarek has done the exact same thing. He's staying on as the executive producer of the Blade reboot. So it's amicable. I mean, mm-hmm. it, this isn't the studio hitting at the panic button. This isn't, there aren't bad feelings. I mean, everybody's still working together. It's just... Evidently, yeah. this was not what Mahershala signed on for, and he wanted to 
you know, he grew up loving the Wesley Snipes Blade movies and wanted something similar to that. So that's kind of where we are now. And like I said, we have a new writer assigned to this, Bo DeMeo. But there's been a a lot of writer-related news uh, coming out of Marvel Studios this week. Like, for example, Michael Walden, who wrote scripts for the, the the wonderful first season of Loki, he's just been tapped to write the screenplay for Avengers Secret Wars, which, remember, that's the... You know, the big cinematic event for for 2025, we're going to get Avengers Kang Dynasty. Uh, that, that hits theaters May 2nd, 2025. And then uh, less than six months later, we get the second half of, of that saga, Avengers Secret Wars, uh, arrives November 7th of that time. And Michael, he's the guy who brought Kang the Conqueror on to the, the, the MCU canvas, because He Who Waits, was that the name of, of the character we met at the end of the last episode of Loki? Um, he Who Remains. He Who Remains. There yeah. we go. I, I think that this dude had to have a pitch on mm-hmm. day one before he ever started writing for Loki. Mm-hmm. Because th- this is such a big movie. You know, we've mm-hmm. had like Marcus McFeely in the past do the big team up movie writing for, was it. Uh, didn't they do the writing for both Endgame and Infinity War? They did. They right? did. Yeah, and a, a lot of the uh, the Cap movies as well. Yeah, yep. yeah. So I mean, they they've handled a lot of juggling of mm-hmm. like practically the entirety of the MCU cast in a single mm-hmm. film, actually twice mm-hmm. now, or well, three if you count Civil War, right? So mm-hmm. I mean, they they've juggled the characters and made big, huge blockbuster things and done it with almost it seems like a breezy efficiency. Mm-hmm. So when it g- comes down to, uh, you know, you had a writing pair, now you're down to just one guy. One mm-hmm. guy can do the work of these two amazing writers. I don't believe it. And, and you know, it's like based off of Loki. And obviously the only thing that really connects, that has the super strong connection there, mm-hmm. is the Kang character or he who remains being tied mm-hmm. to Kang. But that kind of makes me think... I think this dude pitched a really super strong story like three years ago. Mm-hmm. And they went, oh, damn, we got to hire you to do Loki. And, the, and they did well with Loki. And they went, okay, we need to finish out your vision. You're going to write all the way up to Secret Wars to get to get us to here. And then they kind of blueprinted for the other writers, for the other movies that are going to have to fit into the mold. I think mm-hmm. this is the guy that made the original mold for se- mm-hmm. the Secret War blueprint. And Feige got excited went, yep, you're hired. You're the guy. That's fascinating. Let me see if I can get somebody to, to corroborate that. This guy was also one of one of the writers for Multiverse mm-hmm. of Madness, and mm-hmm. uh, so he's got two credits already in in the MCU. And I mean, Multiverse of Madness was really really good, but I don't see that being the thing where someone looks at that movie and goes, "Oh, this is the guy that writes Secret Wars." Mm-hmm. But I could see that with his, his the way that he was approaching Loki season one and the way that they utilized He Who Remains, and and I think that he might have a further arc in mind that he may have pitched at one time. Worth noting here that he does have one other Marvel-related credit. Oh, okay. He he helped write the Avengers Quantum Encounter show for the Disney Wish. Oh. Uh, the thing they, they were Ant-Man and the Wasp and various other characters entertain guests during dinner. Wait a minute. So, so he wrote a dinner show? Isn't that kind of like when you're a failed actor and you have to go to Boca Raton <laughs> and do Death of a Salesman for the... 
the steak crowd at 5 p.m. <laughs> Soap dish. I love that movie. I uh, you know the Kevin Klein. Yes, he he did a wonderful job. Yes, normally uh, that would be a thing, but again, this is this is for the Disney Wish with, with lots of money behind it. Though, sure. While uh, Len and I were cruising on on the Wish, we got word that they had already changed the Avengers Quantum Encounter show because the earliest iteration of the show was actually frightening children. So it's oh, really? like, yeah, kind of kind of intriguing there. And and speaking of sort of Disney Imagineering related uh, information, got a, a wonderful story just today about Disney a couple of years ago got in bed with Boeing with the notion that they wanted to have, as part of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, they wanted to have drones of X-Wings and the TIE Fighters actually fly overhead of these lands to give them kinetics. And Disney Legal looked at the drones and then looked at where they'd be flying them over guests, and it's like, no, no, this is not happening. The only way we would consider this is that, you know, you had to put control towers, you had to have two sets of eyes on these these heavy drones at any one time when they took off and they landed. There. So it meant every time one took off, you had to have two cast members sign off on this sort of thing. But the kicker is that they weren't just designing Star Wars-related stuff. For the Avengers campuses around the world, they wanted to fly in and out every day a Quinjet. So the, the Quinjet that's parked on the roof right now of the, the building, supposed to be the queue for the King Thanos attraction, I think we were talking about on the last show, that thing was supposed to fly. The, wait, the, the full-size thing? The full size thing. Get out of here. Now I'm thinking like you're talking like a little styrofoam model or something. Sure, I could see that happening. And you'd also have this really unique opportunity to sell the brand new Mickey ears attached to hard hats that you wear mm -hmm. at construction sites <laughs> for all of the guests in case you do have a falling drone. It's mm -hmm. not only a safety feature, it's a wonderful gift to take home and uh, show the rest of your family. But besides that, no, a full size one, no, that's just crazy talk. I can't imagine that. Go check out uh, when the Galaxy's Edge opened at Walt Disney World in December of 2019. You, you can actually watch footage from that. They, Disney Legal agreed for one night for the, the opening of this land to allow these things to fly overhead, but it was a one-off. Whoa, wait a minute. Hold up. You're, you're missing the big story here, Jim. Mm -hmm. That means that them flying things still exist somewhere in a garage or in storage. Okay, we've got a new heist. Hey, wait, you're in Florida. Okay. A little extra meeting uh, after the game, a little post-game workup show. Uh, how much room you got in, in uh, your onboard storage on the flight? Is it enough for a drone? You know what? I got a different way to get you home. You'll fly yourself. No problem. Uh, there, there we go. But again, if you hammer on Star Wars drones, uh, Disney World, Galaxy's Edge, you can actually see photos of these things parked in the parking lot for Disney's Hollywood Studios and get a sense of... I, you know, they weren't full size, but they were big enough so that it, when they flew overhead and if they flew quickly, you'd buy into that's an X-Wing and that's a TIE fighter. Now, you've seen the, the guys that invented the kind of like Iron Man suit where they've got like three or four jet engines attached to each arm and leg. 
mm-hmm. and uh, can fly over water and stuff. I'm really waiting for them to try that as the next step to bypass the drone because it's unmanned, right? You could mm-hmm. go wrong, but if you got a pilot, well, you can mm-hmm. divert uh, divert it, you know, in, in case you have a an accident. So why not just build kind of like a little plastic suit around those giant engines, strap a cast member into it, send them off into the sky. Good luck, Bob. We're cheering for you. Okay, we've talked about the stunt Tronic, the Spider-Man out oh, in yeah. California, yeah. California that periodically they, they throw into the air and it, it does key Peter Parker poses before you know falling down into a cargo net backstage. And it, it's lovely to look at, but but evidently... Disneyland Paris, which just opened its version of Avengers Campus, was offered the same thing. Hey, you can have this as part of your campus at Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris. And the folks there were like, all right, how much is this going to cost? And the Imagineers told them. And the French were like, wait a minute, for that exact same number, I can put 20 cast members in Marvel outfits in this land every day, walking around, interacting with guests, posing for photographs, signing autographs, as opposed to a figure that gets thrown through the air every hour or so, you know, and is a photo op for people who, who know where to look and for the tenth of a second that it's up in the air. And for the French, it was like, it was a no-brainer. It's like, start sewing the costumes now. This is what they'll... The, the little kids will love, you know, right. being able to stand there and get their photo taken with Thor and interact with them and that sort of thing. And when they can have 20 characters interact with in the land on the ground versus looking up in the air and seeing, you know, Spider-Man fly by for a tenth of a second. It's like, no, no, that's not where the value is. You know, go make 20 costumes. So that's why that wound up there. So... Anyway, one final question before we wrap up the first half of the show here. The other obvious big news dropped on Monday. We now have our really for real trailer for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which again, November 6th, just a month from tomorrow. What did you think of the trailer? Hmm, I'm still... You know, I think I think I feel that I am like many people of it is going to be so hard to accept a Black Panther movie without the Black Panther that we know. Mm-hmm. So I think it's finally time that Marvel gave up the goods and said, OK, there really is going to be a Black Panther, guys. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's a change, but there's still a Black Panther presence and uh, the mantle is being passed, so to speak. Mm-hmm. The other thing is. I'm still rather enamored with the design of Namor. The Aztec mm-hmm. Incan type jewelry and stuff, I think, is just a great new look that, mm-hmm. you know, seems to fit somehow. The thing that I, I got from the very first trailer was that he was going to have the wings on his ankles. I always wondered if they were going to do that when, when Namor finally hit the screen. So mm-hmm. when they, they do the baby shot of him being birthed in the water, if you look very closely in the first trailer, you can see he's got wings on his ankles. But to see him fly, oh mm-hmm. my goodness, this trailer brought the goods on on what's Namor going to look like when he is ready to whoop some ass. Mm-hmm. And uh, the flying thing, I mean, he, he, it almost kind of looked like a speed skater across ice, the way that he was shot in one scene, which was just beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's the other scene where he's hovering, and the very first thing that popped into my mind, I jumped on Twitter and blasted out at the world, 
hey, at Red Bull, it's Kevin from Mar- the Marvel <laughs> Studios. If we got a slam dunk of a promotional idea for you guys. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Okay. Um, well, speaking of, of getting our, our first looks at characters, or, or up-close looks at how they'll be used, in uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, um, we do get a few images of Riri Williams. In fact, her earliest version of her suit. And again, this is how it happens, folks. Information, more often than not, leaks out in weird ways. And in, Was this in from the this, toys leak? It was, yes. Yeah. The, the, the Marvel Legends outfit. And it looked good. I was really surprised by it. I mean, I'm glad they're not just straight up ripping off an Iron Man suit and putting another person in it. Like, she's rebuilding it from the ground up with her own design. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it looks great. And it's its own unique. I, I want to say silhouette. You know how uh, it's like each character, you could put them in a strong silhouette and you know exactly who their identity is just by the shape of that mm-hmm. silhouette. You know, fits cap. Look for a big circle on the arm. That gives it away. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. this is going to give off a very strong silhouette. It's going to have a very strong presence on screen. I'm very much looking forward to it. Well, other things that I, I'm hoping you're looking forward to, because the, in much the same way that Riri's official suit, you know, leaked out through the Marvel Legend toy line. Have you seen the Spider Punk character? Oh God, of, yeah. Of, yeah. Spider Punk's been around for a while, and matter of fact, I've come very close to ordering the Hot Toys Spider mm-hmm. Punk that comes with a guitar. But uh, for listeners who have never seen Spider Punk before, he wears a jean jacket vest, and he's got uh, like the punk rock. You know how you've got the spikes on the the wristbands. He's mm-hmm. got a, a mohawk spikes in his his little uh, mask, mm-hmm. and he just looks so crazy cool. And he and he slings a guitar. And he, he pl- plays a mean six string. He does anyway. He does. He does. And, but what's interesting is that the toys for across the Spider Verse have begun to leak. And one of the things that was shown is that you know when that film arrives in theaters, you will be able to get your Spider Punk action figure. So all this cool stuff headed our way. Well, there have been like a hundred and one permutations of Spider Man and, mm-hmm. and the character throughout the years. Of I mean, obviously. From Peter to Miles, but then you've got Gwen with the ghost spider, and, and then, you know, Spider-Man 2099, and it's just like, it's mm-hmm. evolved, it's been retold, it's been mm-hmm. recast, it's been redone. So now you get finally get movies like Across the Spider-Verse, where you get to bring them all together, and like whoever the hell thought punk Spider-Man was mm-hmm. ever going to show up on screen for any reason, ever. And now you've got a legit reason to bring them out. So, uh, yeah, it's exciting to be able to get to, to crawl into all these niche corners of the Spider-Verse as well as uh, the, the new stuff in the MCU coming like Man-Thing and Werewolf by Night. And mm-hmm. um, it, I think it will invigorate because, you know, some people are like, it's so boring. It's getting old. It's getting tiresome to keep track of all the details. It's more like homework than it is fun. <laughs> and these are the things that bring the fun back. You know, where you don't have to worry about the Easter eggs. You just watch a black and white campy horror movie because it's Halloween time. Well, speaking of bringing the fun back, after this commercial break, when Aaron and I get back, we will have seen the most recent episode of She-Hulk, which features the return of a a certain uh, Marvel superhero who was on Netflix for a while. But first, this. It may not sound like it, but it's a full day later, or, or damn near, and uh, Aaron and I have seen the 
penultimate episode of season one of She-Hulk, Ribbit and Rip It. But I guess before we get started here, we also need to talk about last week's episode, The Retreat, right? Uh, with the, the return of Emil Blonsky. And I'm so close to collecting. Mm-hmm. If he just would have had sheep instead of chickens, mm. oh my God, I would have been able to collect on this bet. But um, besides that, it's a fun episode. I really like this really kind of odd path that they sent the abomination down where he's trying to use like his differences between him and the Hulk mm-hmm. as this uh, nurturing point so he can help other uh, heroes and their nemeses, which brings up the people of the retreat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they seemed weird and quirky and and just so not MCU, like they were more like cosplayers than real heroes. But the weird thing is, these are actually like Z-level heroes that have shown up in the comic books for a split frame second or really? two. Yeah, yeah, that's the weird thing is that. I mean, I didn't recognize any of them. Mm-hmm. It was only after the episode was over and I was online and people are posting, oh, by the way, this character was in this issue in like 1960-whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and then they've got the side-by-side comparisons of, you know, the vampire, the matador, the bull, the porcupine. All those characters somewhere exist in the uh, the Marvel comic book universe. Mm-hmm. So that ended up making me just go down a crazy line of thought and... and uh, You know, we can understand Iron Man built his suit, Cap got a serum, Hulk got a a weird serum, but there was an explanation for all of our heroes thus far in the MCU. And then it seems like in the last year, we've just been getting, you know, it seems like they're, um, you know, little cameos, but it means that a hero had to be created somehow, some way, they've got a backstory. But these are actually mutants, Mm -hmm. these characters that are showing up recently and it was only a couple episodes ago I said that I'm under the belief that Feige has just claimed, let there be mutants. Mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily mean he had an idea of how mutants are coming about. Doesn't mean that there was like a, a thing that happened, a catalyst in the MCU that made it start happening. They're just showing up now. Hmm. And that's the thing that makes me, yeah, it makes me go, hmm, what's that all about? Because I was actually expecting like a big event to happen that created the mutants. But if they're just randomly showing up now like the the guys from the the wrecking crew those are easily explained because those are just average guys that stole empowered tools Mm -hmm. and so i wouldn't count them as that group but this guy like with the not the matador but his nemesis who's a bull with actual horns growing out of his head how do you explain that unless he's a mutant right it's not a costume so, yeah, I think we've got mutants in the MCU right now, and, and that last episode was just putting three or four of them on display without really talking about the powers or how they got their, their start. If we could also talk about someone else in, you know, who's there at Blonsky's retreat, when Wrecker of the Wrecking Crew, and, and remember, this is the guy who is part of the team you just mentioned, they attacked Jennifer outside of her apartment and she she hulked up and took care of them, but at the same time, she got attacked by these guys. And the notion that inside of ten to fifteen minutes of showtime, she forgave him, and I I I don't know if I necessarily bought into that. Though interesting, I was talking with Brian Gone about this, and he was mentioning that especially when you do like the extreme types of therapy, like her going into the sauna slash yurt. Yeah. And you're just filled with euphoria to say, okay, I forgive you. But it's like, this guy attacked her in an alley with, with three other guys. That's okay. You're right. a bunch of nice guys now. 
Well, I mean, Jim, the, if we're going to have impressionable youth mm-hmm. watching these shows, we must kind of reinforce the idea of with great power comes great responsibility. And forgiveness is a part of that. You know, you got to allow for people to change, make a mistake, learn from it and grow. Mm-hmm. And you can't always use your punchy fist. Sometimes you got to use your words. Well, it's so interesting you say that because now as we pivot to our penultimate episode, Ribbit and Rip It. I so enjoyed this episode. In fact, well, first of all, this is the one that where Charlie Cox shows up at at Mad Murdoch, and it's not a cameo. I mean, he's a key part of this storyline. And Charlie was charming as hell. Well, he knows his character now. He's he's inhabited that role long enough that he mm. could play it blindfolded. Wait a minute. Hold on. There we That's go. not quite how I wanted to say that. But you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. He he knows how to inhabit the character. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you could put him in a in any situation right now in the MCU and you get a fantastic Charlie Cox. The thing I love the most about that mm-hmm. was seeing Daredevil doing the walk of shame carrying the boots. Oh my goodness, that was I don't want to say it brought back memories, but uh, I, I I've seen that moment take place a time or two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I, that was the thing. It was it was great fun until it wasn't. And in fact, I sure. I love those those moments like five minutes out from the finale where Jennifer's character is talking directly to the audience. What we're, we're not done? We're this is still going? No, they've got a really good sense of humor there with the the way that they're uh, approaching the fourth wall breaking. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the fact that she mentioned, what, is there going to be another Hulk that's red? Yeah. Did your heart beat a little faster and you get <laughs> caught in your throat? Like, could it be? Is it coming? Is it going to happen in the next episode? <sighs> I doubt it. Yep. But, you know, the fact that they throw that out there because, you know, we're all thinking it. Mm-hmm. Why not toy with our expectations just a touch? Uh, another very brief note that I thought was worth pointing out was that during the trial, mm-hmm. Matt Murdock says to the judge that the Sokovia Accords mm-hmm. have been uh, repealed. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know what that necessarily is going to mean for the MCU moving forward. Is that going to be a big deal? Are they going to make more of this? In the future, because, I mean, you know, after Civil War, that was a big story point for many movies afterwards. They kept bringing up, I can't do that, Mm -hmm. Soviet Accords, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. So now that it's been repealed, I don't know, it just it seemed like they're giving out a lot of information Mm -hmm. just by using a throwaway line in in Mm -hmm. a show, right? I mean, it was a single sentence, but it had so much weight to what it could be Mm implication-wise in our future. So that is another thing I was interested in uh, seeing if that plays out later on as well. From the very first episode, She-Hulk has been different. The whole notion of Bruce Banner telling his cousin, you're going to have to learn to control your rage, you know, like I do every day. And for the longest time, I said, okay, this is going to be a different Hulk story until it wasn't. And the intelligentsia, you know, interrupting the female lawyer of the year award. And, you know, I, I think using sex shaming mm-hmm. was one of the most, I don't want to say brilliant things, but it's one mm-hmm. of those things where like guys are allowed in our society to, you know, very, talk very openly mm-hmm. about their adventures that they have. And mm-hmm. everyone's like, well, thumbs up to that because he's a guy. But mm-hmm. if a woman does it, oh, shame. 
she's of uh, low moral character, right? Mm -hmm. And so we've always had the sex shaming on women, but it never applied to guys. Mm -hmm. And to see them use that against her to make her uh, emotional, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that rage that she says she has every day and, and using one of those one of those things that actually exists in the real world that Mm -hmm. hurts women Mm -hmm. and using that in this fictional sense to kind of bring a light that it still exists. It's still Mm -hmm. a problem. Uh, People are still jerks to women for living a a full healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And, uh, then to watch her just freak out, lose it, and go into an actual Hulk rage where Dude, she does go. look like the bad guy mm-hmm. for a bit in the episode. And, man, my heart broke for her. It did. Same thing here. Um, though, were you intrigued when she came out of the building at the awards ceremony and there were those folks from the Department of Damage Control w- with their weapons I'm hoping that in the next episode there's an explanation as to why they were immediately there. That perhaps, you know, that that kind of throwaway line from Matt Murdock said, so have you destroyed a parking lot before? I mean, she's existed publicly in the show as herself. Yep. So, I mean, if she's got an iPhone, it's like drop a pin, you know where she's at at all times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if you're a fictional government agency that's tracking down heroes to keep a, an eye on what they're doing and, and such. I would have a, a damage control station next door to her apartment. <laughs> okay. Right. right. I would have, I would, I wouldn't even be sneaky about it. She'd be coming home from getting groceries and I would have mm-hmm. a glass to the wall in the hallway to her apartment. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, Hey Jen, I thought you were home. Apparently mm-hmm. I've been listening to your cat for the last half hour. You know, uh, wouldn't wouldn't be sneaky at all. It'd be very obvious. You're a Hulk. We got to watch for holes in the city now. Mm -hmm. Well, I I have to say uh, the the episode right up until that point, between the obvious chemistry between Charlie Cox and Titania Mansley. Mislani. Mislani. Damn it. I keep trying and I get it wrong. No, they were so great together. And it's just sort of... And, and to, to have the carpet ripped out from under like that and to see the shotgun, her boss at, at, at JKNL and at likewise her parents. And it's like, oh, so we're all tuning in next week to see episode nine of this and to see where it goes. And One thing that I do want to investigate further before we, we wrap up is specifically about the Daredevil costume because we saw it teased as being red and yellow. And then uh, throughout the lighting schemes, you, you know, you get the, the kind of the red costume, the yellow helmet and some yellow pads on the arms and I think on the legs as well. But then they put him in a blue hallway. And blue on red, it creates black, you know, which actually look kind of cool. But then the yellow and the blue, I think, kind of creates like a greenish tone. But, mm-hmm. you know, I I was excited to look at the new costume, but they kept putting it in weird lighting and I could never get a real true sense of what it would look like in broad daylight uh, until you get the walk of shame. Then you get a better look at it there for a minute. But you um, do. yeah, I, I want to know when we get to uh, Daredevil Reborn, is he rocking the same costume? Is it the same color scheme? <laughs> Uh, or or does he go? Because I mean, Dare, you know, Daredevil Yellow mm-hmm. was a, a series of of comics for a little while that just featured him in his yellow costume. So I wondered, is this hinting that we're going to get the yellow, full yellow Daredevil at some point? Or are we going back to red? What's what's going on with the costume? But well, uh, it was interesting to see if the if what we're hearing is true about the Daredevil Reborn series, uh, they start shooting in February and they're supposed to go for months. So. I would imagine, given how people surround the Marvel sets, we'll, we'll, we'll have an answer to your question very, very soon. 
So like I said, Aaron and I will definitely be watching and then chime in on, on our thoughts on the the final episode of what I'm hoping is the first season of S.H.I.E.L.D. because I really enjoy the show. I'd love for it to come back. Likewise, we'll have our thoughts about Werewolf by Night, which actually becomes available for viewing midnight tonight, West Coast time. So in the meantime, folks, while you're waiting to hear Mr. Adams and my opinions about that sort of thing, Aaron, where can folks find you online? Well, oddly, I'm on Fans Only. Um, because oh. it's gotten, no, just hear me out. It's gotten really, really hot in the studio and I cannot afford the air conditioning. So, uh, my wife said fans only. And I said, okay, but it makes a lot of noise in the background with the roo, 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 roo. So anyway, <laughs> besides that, uh, I'm on Twitter as well oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. at Aza If you want All to right. find me there. What, what did you think I was talking about, Jim? I, I, I was inches away from hitting the parental control button. Okay, okay. A, a very nice recovery. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. You can find uh, me uh, on Twitter and Instagram as Jimmy Media and over on Facebook as Jimmy Media News. Uh, look forward to seeing you folks there. Likewise, just want to remind you, a couple other podcasts we do here. Uh, we have, of course, Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. We also have Looking at Lucasfilm with, with Brian Gunn. Uh, I will be recording a brand new fine-tuning with Drew Taylor tomorrow night, and we'll get that out the door as well. If you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, uh, that would be helpful. Likewise, if you really, really, really like what you heard here and you want to go to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be cool too. And I think that will do it, Aaron. So we will be back soon with a brand new show next week. Until then, folks, thanks for listening.